This is the Ithaca Football Podcast with your hosts, Dean Gutick, Alex Chaprut, and Toby Zabore. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WICB Postgame Podcast Show. I'm your host, Dean Gutick, alongside with me, Tobias Zabore, Alex Chaprut. What a weekend. Cortica Jug in the big city, the biggest little game in the country in the big city, in a big stadium, so fitting in the Bronx. Ithaca defeats Cortland. They slay the Red Dragon. First, they slay the Dragon in RPI. They slay another Dragon in Cortland. 34-17, on the season, the first time since 1986. The Bombers go undefeated in the regular season. Alex, I'm going to lead off with you. You're the only one who picked Ithaca to win this game. So... The floor is yours, pal. Let's go, Bomber Nation. It was an absolutely massive win for the Bombers. And, of course, I was the only one, as Dean mentioned, to pick uh, the Ithaca Bombers over the Cortland Red Dragons. And I really thought, sitting there watching this game for about half this game, that I was actually going to exactly predict the score because it really did look like it was going to end in a 27-24 victory. But a massive win. And like I've said last week, and like I think we've mentioned throughout the entire season, this team has a really uncanny ability to play up to challenges. It feels like every time that we doubt this team, even if we you know, will pick them to winning games, we always still say, like, uh, against uh, Hobart, against Union, against RPI, that we really thought that there was a chance that they were going to lose those games. And yet every single time that we doubt them, they come to play and they absolutely deliver. And I truly do believe that this team's ability to play up to challenges and to play up to adversity, I really think it's going to carry them super, super far going forward. You know what, Cortland? We'll give you your jug at your house last year. You know, you can win it in front of 8,000. That's fine. We'll take it at the big stadiums. Bombers win at MetLife in 19. They win it again 2022 at Yankee Stadium. The two highest attended games in D3 history, Bomber wins. What a huge, huge win for Ithaca. Corlin might be a very good team. They, they still are, and they're going to be in the playoffs. However, well, some teams are just not built for prime time. Just saying. Uh, the Bombers win in big, basically in college football terms in D1, they win in big noon. It was, it was literally big noon on yes. Yeah, 100%. As we mentioned last week, we thought the college day- game day should have come to uh, come to New York. Still should, still should have. have. Still should I'm have. I'm still mad. I'm still mad. Should I, have been in Austin, Texas, but, you know, ESPN had their horns up that week. ESPN I, gets money from Austin. Let's I absolutely that. agree. that they, I absolutely agree with both Toby and Dean that they should have come to this game because this game was absolutely electric. I mean, the atmosphere at Yankee Stadium, I was sitting right there field level in the stands surrounded by Ithaca Bombers fans. It was absolutely electric. The atmosphere at the stadium was second to none. I've never experienced anything quite like that in a sporting event that I've ever gone to in my entire life. And it was truly unbelievable to just see so many college D3 fans just come out there and be so loud and so uh, prowess and just really be absolutely electric atmosphere. And it it absolutely lived up to the hype. And I think that that was one of the main questions I had was like, is this game going to really live up to the hype or are we going to see like a disappointing like low scoring affair or, or a blowout potentially you know but this game lived up to the hype and more it was absolutely amazing to be there and to actually see this game in person yeah and you know you talk about the fan perspective uh, I wanted to say coming home this was kind of like my homecoming you know someone who's from New York City not from the Bronx particularly however going through the tunnel going to the stadium was I mean for someone that's been here for four years and that's going to go from watching the games and that life in the stands to literally standing on the field in Yankee Stadium is, I mean, truly an unreal experience. And uh, props to all my producers for Grito, especially the one next to me, Tobias Avore. Uh, you know, 
so, like not a lot of people can say they could do this type of thing like what we do, whether it's TV, whether it's radio. I mean, it's it's unbelievable experience and. I soaked it all in, you know, be like I, I, I got a little emotional, but when I was there, I was like, wow, who like, like, like the kid comes home and, uh, yeah. And I, I told Toby before the game, you know, Cortland said, you know, when I went to Cortland last year, I was being waved bye bye. And then I, I said in response, see you in Yankee stadium. And I was thinking before the game too, uh, I, I know I have to stay neutral, but ever you know, obviously go bombers. After the game, I once I left Yankee Stadium, I was like, "Well, bye, Cortland. Not in my yard." But it, it was such a great experience. Were you a little nervous before the game that potentially they weren't going to win the game at all, considering you picked them to lose uh, the game? I, I, I was I was nervous. And by the way, I want to give a shout out by the way for continue for one coach Mike Turper, who actually listens to our podcast. Let's I go. I came up he, but while Grito was shooting, he came, he came up to me and said, "Come on, John Wick, let's go for a walk and talk for a bit." And and Mike Turper said, "Hey, are you Dean? You're Dean Gutick, right? Where's the new? Where's the podcast? I I enjoy listening to you guys every week. So, a big shout out to Mike Turper for always tuning in. And he, yeah, he pulled up the Spotify app in front of me and said, "Look at this." And I, and I was thinking, well, I got to give props. I mean, we if the coach is listening, that's unbelievable. And I I'm, I hope you're listening to this one soon. But uh, just a great experience seeing the players up close, the coaches, everyone seeing you know everyone else in the stands. Uh, just a really great experience all around, and I, I'm just so grateful for this opportunity. Yeah, you talk about all the different perspectives. Last year, I got to be on the field for Cortico when it was in Cortland. I went up there for Grito. That was a great experience seeing that small time atmosphere. This year, I was pretty high up. I got a good view of like everything. I was in the nosebleeds, in the sun. I was. I was feeling good because it was 70 degrees out. It was a beautiful day to watch some Cortica football. And getting to see all the plays develop from that high up was a special thing. Getting to go to Yankee Stadium, a place I see as the seat of all things that are evil um, as a Red Sox (laughs) fan. I (laughs) can't stand the baseball that's played there, but the football that's played there is bar none the best. Well, you could still be an NYCFC fan. I mean, NYCFC has a new has a championship there, unlike the Yankees. And, and Ithaca got a win in the fall, unlike the Yankees. So The you only say team that. that can't win at Yankee but, Stadium is the Yankees. But, I mean, yeah, it was just an unbelievable experience. And uh, just feel it, it really felt great to be down there and also seeing Gary Bucci happy, which, by the way, you know, he's been here for a while. He narrated the whole thing for ICTV. and Chills. The, yeah, he, I mean, it's just unbelievable and a great experience for him as well. Yeah, absolutely unbelievable. And I think the, the thing that sunk into me the most is, like, we've been talking about this game, not necessarily on this podcast, but I think in, in the entire sports radio department and the entire sports media department for more than a year now. I think ever since this game was announced, everybody's been talking about it. Everybody's been looking forward to it. It really, like, it sunk into me on Saturday, like, when I first walked into the stadium. I was like, man, this is this is really happening. You know, it's, it's like it's finally here after more than, like, a year of waiting and sort of anticipation, and we finally got there. And, you know, as I said before, I I was like, please let this game be good. Please let this game live up to the hype. And I think it absolutely delivered. You could not ask for more in a football game um, from this game. I mean, it was absolutely unbelievable. Also, to answer your question from earlier, I was nervous. <laughs> so there, there's there's your answer. But it, I was also nervous because following, like, obviously media rules and everything. But it, it just felt so good to be down there and doing the stand-ups, doing just a lot of things. and watching the game up close and seeing everything up close. It, it's just an unreal, it's a surreal experience and seeing everyone walk by, but 
also not only props for the people in radio I did it, but also shout out to the people in TV. I think everything did really went really well that game. I mean, hey, a bomber win and great media work just it's, it's like peanut butter and jelly. It goes well together, hand in hand. Absolutely. I mean, I think shifting on to the actual game, you know, 34-17 is the ultimate final of this game. But I think for a lot of this game, uh, between the three of us, I think we all thought that, it, especially at halftime when the Bombers were up 17-7, we thought, okay, they have a good chance here, but they cannot, you know, really take a lapse. They know that Cortland is not going to go away, and ultimately they didn't. But I also think that the number one thing that cost Cortland this game was the misplays. We saw... Several misplays made by Boyas, who is uh, the Cortland Red Dragons uh, starting quarterback. He overthrew a wide-open Burgess, who was wide open 40 yards down the field and would have easily gotten a touchdown and how had he hit that um, pass. And so I really think, you know, ultimately looking at this game, you could probably adjust this score by about 14 points, you know, give or take, depending on, you know, should Cortland execute. And I think ultimately... This game came down to which team ultimately would execute their game plans better and ultimately which team came up to, you know, came up to show and came to play. And I ultimately think Ithaca did that exceedingly better than what Cortland did. I think ultimately Cortland underperformed quite a bit in this game. Yeah, I mean, I was on the other side, aside, away from the Ithaca side because that was in the sun. And even though the main kid can handle a little bit of cold, the ones that are not from Maine have a little bit of trouble once it gets a little chilly. So... We sat in the sun and there were so many plays where boys would go deep, a receiver was open, they'd stand up and they'd drop the ball and they'd go, yo, or something like that. And first off, seeing that from a fan's perspective was amazing. But um, boys really did struggle. 13 for 29, 117 yards. He did not have his game. And this was a guy who was coming in. He was hyped up as a really good player. There were articles on D3 football that were hyping him up. He could not get it going. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about the hype for Boyce. I mean, he had 2,500 yards coming into this quarter game. We, we were expecting him to throw for at least 250 in this game and have a couple touchdowns and really limit the turnovers because that's what we had seen from him throughout the entire season, looking at his stats and looking at how he plays. And so ultimately, I think, you know, he didn't come to play in the passing atmosphere, but I think in terms of the uh, rushing aspect, which we will get into a little bit later as we have some very strong opinions about that, um, he ultimately finished with 170 yards on the ground, 15 attempts, longest run of 22 yards. Um, so really, he was he was probably the most effective rusher out there, even though he's the quarterback. And that's that's not necessarily a recipe for success. And I think ultimately that is what cost Cortland the game is that they could not get their passing attack going um, at all during this game. And ultimately, as we mentioned in last week's episode in the preview of this game, we really thought that Cortland was going to be a pass first offense. We really thought they were going to take their deep shots and really attack that secondary of the Ithaca Bombers, and they really didn't do that. Minus a couple of blown coverages and a couple drop passes, Ithaca's secondary really played well in this game. I'd have to agree. I would say for the most part, the Bombers have played well for this game, but they adjusted well in the second half, and I thought, and again, we talk about the adjustments that this team consistently makes, especially the coaching staff. Honestly, prepares really well for these type of games. The thing is also, you mentioned Zach Boys, who dominated on the ground, 107 yards, a long of 22. The thing is also, he went 13-29 passing, 117 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions, got sacked four times. This is the same guy, and I also believe he had a strip sack as well, simplest as recovering the fumble, Michael Rumis forcing the fumble. The thing is, that was the Bombers' plan. If you're gonna, if you if you could stop these guys running, uh, 
and more so passing. The pa- they did the secondary played well, and everyone else played well. They also got pressure at the line again, four sacks, a few stuffed runs. If you can stop these guys passing, force the quarterback to run, tire them out. That's exactly what the Bombers did. Yes, and I absolutely agree that that was the game plan. However, I don't think Ithaca um, at all expected Boyes to be quite as effective on the ground as what he ultimately was. I mean, he converted a 4th and 17, a 3rd and 21. I mean, it was like plays where we were like, okay, no shot that they're ever going to get this first down. And then all of a sudden, he just scrambled out of the pocket and make something happen. It was absolutely unbelievable to see him um, just scramble out of there. And really, that was the most surprising thing about this game is that I did not expect Boyes to be the leading rusher for the Cortland team and also to be the most effective runner, I think, in the entire game. I think that's what Ithaca wanted. You know, you take Boyes away from the passing game. You take that side away. You take Jaden Alphonse John away from the ground game where he was pretty ineffective. Your last resort in this is running with boys. And there are a lot of times where, yes, he had holes. The Bombers didn't throw a QB spy on there, which allowed for those breakaway runs, especially that long third down. But here's the thing. By the time that came, they were already down about two possessions, and they were running hurry up. You're forcing him to run. He's tiring himself out. He's got to run all over the field and then run back to the line and get set. That is the recipe for the Bombers' defense to force mistakes in the passing game which is part of what helped him. That's what helped out with the shock interception was he was running around. He was probably very tired and made a poor judgment. That's probably what happened on the DeSimplicis interception. He was tired. He had run around. He had exhausted his gas tank, and he was just throwing it, wanting to get back in the locker room. I'd, I'd have to disagree with you a little bit on the DeSimplicis one. I mean, first of all, that was one of the worst throws I think I've ever seen. He stared right at DeSimplicis, and... What does he do? Free interception. Yeah, 100%. On the DeSimplicis interception, I could not believe what I was watching. Like a quarterback that was just picking picking the defense apart. And this was early in the game. This was before halftime. This was in the second quarter of this football game. And they were about to drive. And I was like, okay, Ithaca's going to be going into halftime. Only up three points. uh, 17-14. That's that's what I was expecting. I was expecting 17-14 at halftime. And that was going to be the drive that did it with like two minutes left in the entire first half and then all of a sudden on the goal line with really third and goal. Yeah, third and goal was with no Stupidest one play. with no one around DeSimplicis. It wasn't even like Burgess or Lap were like right next to him. Like he was covering them. He was just sitting in a in a zone there, just sort of in the middle of the end zone. And all of a sudden he, boys just I don't know what he was thinking and just threw it straight to DeSimplicis' chest. I don't think DeSimplicis could have gotten an easier interception. I think he saw a sea of blue coming at him and he thought, Oh God, I gotta get rid of this football I don't want to take a sack in the situation, which is fair. Time was running out, and if you take a sack, that's the half. But you have to be smart with your throw. You can't just throw it out there and say, oh, someone's there. No, that's not how football works. It was, you got to make a smart play. It was a surprise. I mean, I, personally, I, didn't, I mean, it could have been 17-14, maybe 17-10. I thought it was going to be 7. At first, I thought, okay, maybe 17-14. But once it was third and goal, I thought, I think the Bombers are going to get a stand here and force a field goal. But... The pick was the last thing I expected to happen. Yeah, 100%. I don't think any of us expected him to throw that bad of an interception. Because my thing is, is even if, as Toby mentioned, even if you see a sea of blue bearing down on you, all you do is throw it out of bounds. You throw it or like hard. Sack. No, you don't. Throw you know, it out of bounds. Obviously, you're not trying to take a sack here. But even if you throw it out of bounds in that situation, even on third and goal, you're getting three points. Like, if you're throwing that pass, you're turning the ball over and getting nothing from that entire drive. And they had driven all the way down the field from, like, their own 25 on that drive and got all the way down to about the three-yard line, I think it was, when Boyens threw that interception, the two-yard line. Um, and so 
if your boy is in that situation, you have to be thinking your first instinct is if you don't see anything, throw it out of bounds. Just chuck it away. Don't give them and don't give anyone any chance to make a play on it. Just absolutely get rid of it. Yeah, you throw it away, you probably have three seconds left on the clock, and you can kick a field goal. He doesn't do that. The bombers run it back for a while and run the clock out. That was a bad mistake. And honestly, I was talking uh, this morning in my media aesthetics and analysis class, and earlier in the week we had watched the 2000, uh, I believe it was the 08 Super Bowl when the uh, Steelers played the Cardinals. And in that one, there was, you know, the Cardinals were driving. They were right at the end zone. They threw an interception to James Harrison, and he returned it all the way. Obviously, the simplicist didn't run it all the way back, but that play kind of reminds me of that. You're on a desperation mode. You throw the ball. doesn't work. And a thing, too, as well, I, I honestly thought Ithaca was going to win after that because I thought you drove all the way down the field. Ithaca gets the ball back at halftime, which, by the way, st- we'll get to in a bit. It started off with a massive return from the track star, the other track star, Anthony Diadetta. I mean, you're driving all the way down the field, trying to respond back down 10 and you throw an interception, that just like that just kills Bad. all the momentum and confidence that you just had. I would like to say this, is that when they were driving, and it was uh, driving down before they threw that interception, I was thinking already, like, three drives ahead, and I was thinking, okay, Corlin's going to make it a three-point game, it's going to be halftime then, because Ithaca's unlikely to probably do anything with the time that they have left whenever they get the ball back to yeah. end the half. Then Ithaca, because they deferred, and it was great that they did defer, because it really helped them um, to own They needed to get, that defer. Yeah, they really, really did, because it was huge to get the ball back to start the second half, because then you have an opportunity to immediately double up your lead and, and keep it at, at least a two-score lead at that point in the game. Obviously, with the interception, you have a chance to extend your lead so much farther, and I think just that interception, I think, was the turning point in this entire game, because really, up until that point, I felt like Portland was going to come back. I truly did, because I was like, okay, they're going to make it a three-point game, and then, you know, we're going to be going down the same road that we've that we've seen previously, and I really thought that that DeSimplicis interception was the ultimate turning point in this game. I agree. I was, yeah, once that, before that happened, as you were saying, Alex, I was getting flashbacks to a cold November day in Cortland last year where the Bombers had opportunities and they blew their shot. I was thinking of that. Then you get the interception, and I want to loop this in. The confidence of the Cortland fans before the game, going throughout the first half until that interception. I got off the train at you know the, the Metro North Station at Yankee Stadium with Parker Hollandoner, who I went down with, friend of the podcast. We were walking to Yankee Stadium. We were just about to get in, and some Cortland fan was saying, oh, it's 7-0. Cortland returned the opening kick for a touchdown. They were rowdy throughout the first half. Then there's the interception. They fall dead silent. Let me say this. The most satisfying thing was to see all those Cortland fans because I was on the Ithaca side and just to not hear anything from the opposite side of the field during pretty much the entire second half um, was absolutely Great. fantastic. It was absolutely, it was, it was beautiful. It was like, you know, you just, you know, you, when you have that like calm, peaceful moment where there's no sound at all and you can hear a pin drop and it's just like the greatest feeling ever. That was what I was having in the second half. That was just so great to, to really just see those Cortland fans who were really cocky. They thought they were going to come in and win this. Like, as you mentioned, coming off the train, I was coming off the buses just walking um, to the stadium with some of my friends and all of the Cortland fans were just giving it to us coming off the buses. We, they 100% thought that they were going to just absolutely destroy us in that game, and they did not do that at all. Shout out to Michael Memes, former producer for Grito, former member of IC Radio, graduated last year. He was at the game, and I kind of saw this when I was on the train into the Yankee Stadium a lot of 
Cortland fans who were like, ah, oh, we're winning this game. Why are y'all even here? Michael Lammas with a tweet after the game, a Cortland fan is sadly walking along the aisle on the train saying, maybe next year. That is, that, I mean, that's the attitude that Cortland brought into this. They thought they were going to run the floor with Ithaca. They were going to go 10-0, swab the deck, nothing matters. And then they lose, and I, they just couldn't wrap their heads around it. I, I mean, I was, to, you know, to win Cortland is one thing, but to, for them to win in my backyard made it feel sweeter. I... I said to Toby, well, here's the thing. I invited them to my backyard, but not for a long time. I invited them just to kick them out afterwards. And, uh, I mean, beautiful job done by the Bombers. See, also seeing the alumni there, uh, seeing Memphis, Cam Gasmer, another notable one as well. Just seeing everyone there, friends, fan, uh, seeing, like, you know, everyone had their family there, friends. Also, like I said, former alumni. Just a great atmosphere. And also the stadium being split as well was awesome. And once that interception happened, happened you just felt a huge pin drop on the Cortland side like crickets absolutely and I think truly you know you can tell a lot by momentum and I mean I I love to talk about momentum because I think it's such an underrated and such a huge part of sporting games and you could see that when Cortland was driving all the momentum was with the Red Dragons their fans knew it they were getting rowdy on their side I mean they knew that they were going to make this game a three-point game and they were going to be right back in it and then as soon as that interception happened the Corland fans never really got back into it. And, and, and I think that was going to be big for Corland. If, if Corland could, even with the interception, get their fans somehow back into the game, if they could make, you know, put up some points, score some touchdowns, and get their fans back into it, it was going to be a lot tougher for Ithaca because obviously then you're going to have to pretty much be playing in an, in an opponent's stadium. But really, Ithaca made it to where Corland felt like they were truly in at the at um, Butterfield Stadium because it was truly just an absolutely hostile crowd for the Red Dragons throughout the majority of that game. Obviously, in the beginning of the game, um, it was obviously pretty neutral with both sides being fairly rowdy. But after that interception, I truly felt like it became really hostile towards Cortland, and I think that was great to see. And I think that played an uh, an underrated factor in this game, just giving Ithaca all the confidence in the world and being supported. I think just was absolutely massive for them. Yeah, call it Jim Butterfield Stadium South, because in the second half, the Ithaca fans did all everything they, they could have, and that was perfect seeing the Ithaca fans come alive, spur on the team, and watching the Cortland fans realize that this game was getting out of hand. And part of the second half, and I want to loop this in with something I have loved to talk about all year for the last time in the regular season. <clears throat> Y'all know it. Special teams, special teams, special teams. You start the second half with Anthony Diadetta giving me flashbacks of Bridgewater State, running the ball almost all the way down the field for a touchdown, setting the Bombers up beautifully, and you lump that in with the Baja Redemption Cortica Jug game. What a day for special teams. You win football games in the margins, the Bombers won in the margins. Absolutely. I mean, I talked about this when I previewed the game last week and part of my prediction. I said that this game was going to come down to a Baja Monday field goal and that he was going to make it and get a revenge game. He ultimately didn't, you know, kick a game-winning kick. It was never that close, well, however. Well. But he played really well, and yeah. he made all of his kicks, and I think that was so big for him just to get a little bit of a revenge game after what happened last year. And I was I was really happy to see that, honestly, because I was just, you know, I felt really bad for him because you knew, you could tell that there was quite a bit of pressure on him, especially after what happened last year, um, to make kicks because this is obviously a huge game for the Bombers. And for him to make all of his kicks and ultimately, you know, to help the team, I think is really, really good to see from him. I just want to say I kind of called this. I said, that, <laughs> I said in the podcast prior, you know, he started off hot last year, then kind of cooled out, lost, lost RPI, lost to Cortland. And then I said, well, 
perhaps he does a reverse of that. He did. And basically, he does that. And I was thinking, well, if there was a time for you to, to do that, this, these three games were it. So, I, I mean, perfect. I, no complaints for me. But really just well on both ends. Uh, the run game for the Bombers stepped up. Jake Williams. Jake Williams was a dual threat player that day in terms of running the ball and also being the number one wide receiver that day, 63, recep- 63 yards, five receptions, and a touchdown to go along with 69 yards and a touchdown through the ground. I mean, just a great game from Williams. Leonard Osborne had a few, uh, a few big runs as well. A.J. Wingfield played a great game. And also the defensive side. Uh, before I actually get to the defensive side, I want to leave this off to you, Alex. You called it. You said AJ needed to play the perfect, basically the perfect game, and he does that. Absolutely. And I mean, I said in my prediction for this Cordica game in last week's episode, I said Wingfield had to have 250 yards and no interceptions, and that is exactly what he did. Ultimately, he did fumble the football on his one sack that the offensive line gave up. However, he was completely blindsided on that fumble. There was no way that he could have ever seen that zero player chance. coming. So I, I, I give zero blame to uh, A.J. Wingfield for that. That was not his fault at all. That was just simply Cortland rushed seven and the offensive line. Really, nobody could do anything about that. That was ultimately something to where, you know, you'd like to have A.J. hold on to the football, but that was a huge hit, and I don't see a way that he's holding on to that. But ultimately, something that surprised me about this game is that, yes, I said Wingfield needed to throw for 250 yards, and he ultimately ended up for uh, throwing 18 of 20 for 209 yards and three touchdowns. However, it never really looked like the Ithaca Bombers were dominant in like one aspect of this game. It really felt like this was a well-rounded game, but it also felt like there was nothing that really stands out to you on the stat sheet. It felt like sort of just a solid performance, but there was nothing like super splashy about it. Yeah, it was everyone did their job. To use like a Bill Belichick quote, everyone did their job. They had what they needed to do, and no one like, I mean, yeah, Wingfield shined with, with his arm. William shined being the leading rusher and leading receiver, but everyone pitched in. Michael Anderson, 5 for 43 receiving. Jalen Leonard Osborne, 8 for 42 on the ground. What a huge game. And Jake Williams, the stiff arm on the touchdown that put the game away, that was dirty, but in a good way. Derrick Henry, that stiff arm. I was about to say that that looked like King Henry stiff arming Josh Norman right there. It totally looked like King Henry just going down the sideline, and that one ultimately did put the game away. And I really think, you know, going back to it, I predicted, and I think everyone expected for them to really lean heavy on the passing attack. We expected them to really uh, show some offensive fireworks, show a lot of prowess in the passing attack. We ultimately never really saw that. I mean, 209 yards is not um, bad by any stretch. I'm saying that that's actually quite a good game. But I think just playing overall clean was the most important thing for this Bombers offense, and that's exactly what they did. They didn't make costly mistakes. They didn't uh, take bad penalties in order to, you know, give Cortland um, any more of an edge in terms of uh, keeping up with the chains, and they ultimately didn't make more than one turnover, which was the fumble, and I think that was the key. Just playing clean, playing, like, really just executing their game plan well was the most important thing for this Bombers team, and they ultimately did that really, really well. Yeah, they did everything really well, and you flip to the defensive side as well. I mean, they forced three turnovers. They hold Cortland to 17 points, which, by the way, Trevor Warner, who orchestrates Dean Fence to a great advantage, this is every almost every game, minus Union, granted the one touchdown at the end, which gave him 28 points, 17 points or less 
in every game with the exception of Union. I mean, that is just awesome. The coaching staff as a whole has done a great job. But Warner game planning well. It's her for a reader. The defense does its thing. Kevin Shock with the interception, which also gave the more momentum. The simplest, the simplest one was massive and honestly kind of, I wouldn't say turned the game around because they were up, but more so sucked all the life out of Cortland for the most part. You go to the, the Shock interception, which eventually leads to the touchdown from Jake Williams and as well the strip sack as well from Ruimis. I mean, just all well-rounded. And I think going back to that shock interception, I mean, Boyas threw up an absolute duck of a pass. Like that was that was not a very good pass at all. It was a, it was a wounded duck just flying through the air, both just waiting. Were bad. Yeah, no, both yeah. both of his interceptions were really really bad passes. They he did not look good throwing it deep, and I think that was the number one thing that I expected him to do well. Um, coming into this game considering how long his passes have been in the past I mean you look at the longest receptions for their top three wide receivers it was 81 um, 55 and 90 and so I really expected them to air the ball out deep and Boyas was not accurate at all in his deep pass stuff and on that shock interception he woefully underthrew uh, some of his uh, on that pass he woefully underthrew Burgess who was on another deep post and he was relatively open I think if if Boyas can ultimately lead that pass a little more, and similar to the one that he missed earlier for a touchdown, if he leads Burgess in both of those passes, it's 14 points for Cortland that were not ultimately scored. And so I think, you know, looking back on it, Boyas, I think, ultimately was maybe a little bit starstruck, maybe a little bit too much for him in terms of the spotlight, because the spotlight was definitely on him. He played very well in the rushing attack, but ultimately he needs to play better in the passing attack for Cortland to win that football game. And that... I think was the cause of uh, Cortland losing this football game is ultimately because Boyas just made too many mistakes in the passing attack. Talk also about the defensive pressure from the Bombers front seven on Boyas, including that shock interception. He was rushed, and so he couldn't set his feet and throw a good ball. And, you know, as soon as I saw that go up, I thought, that's not going to make <laughs> it to his receiver. And shock was right there to undercut the route, make the pick. I don't want to spoil anything for Wednesday, but please do tune into the Gridiron Report. 6.30 on Wednesday for a very special presentation, hour-long special. You might see a, a little different thing than we've done all year. Huge shout-out to Shock, but what a play that was for Kevin, who last year didn't play because of the injury. This year comes back. Two straight games with a pick. Absolutely. He has become a defensive star for the Bombers quickly. Like, he is making everything. You know, we ask ourselves, who's going to step up for the Bombers in this secondary? And honestly, I have to give props to Kevin Shock right here with two picks, and honestly, also solid coverage the past couple of weeks. I, I mean, listen, obviously, Robinson's still a big loss, but I would say Shock has done a solid job filling in. Shock has done all he's needed to do filling in. I think also someone who goes kind of under the radar here, who I think really, who I haven't gotten a chance to shout out in this podcast, but Tommy Morant, he was starting, he was the number two cornerback for the Ithaca Bombers team starting in this quarter jug game, going up against tough matchups against. Burgess and Lap. Ultimately, he did give up a touchdown to Lap, um, the one passing touchdown that uh, Boyas did have. However, that was really just a great route by Lap, and ultimately Moran played lockdown coverage the entire rest of the way. And we talked about how, you know, um, Shock and Moran were going to have to lock up these really good wide receivers in Burgess and um, Lap, and ultimately, I think Moran did a great job of doing that. And I think ultimately, he was one of the underrated pieces of this Ithaca Bombers secondary that we really were asking who's going to step up, and I think Moran did the best job of stepping up. Yes, uh, Shock played great and had the interception, but I think on the other side of him, Moran played just as good, even though he didn't have the interception. Yeah, 
I mean, it's just an unbelievable game as well. And like I said, props to secondary for honestly stepping up since Robinson. It also feels like they've rallied around that since then, which is awesome. But it also goes to show the team culture. Yeah, and I mean, something else to note was that uh, Antoine Robinson was out there for the coin flip of the Cortica Jug game. And, and I noticed this sitting, you know, field level um, right there, noticed this, is that they rallied around him. He was right in the middle of every single huddle, every single hype-up moment that this team did before the game. Robinson was in the middle of it. He was leading the charge. He was right there with his teammates, trying to hype them up, trying to get them ready mentally for this tough football game. And ultimately, he did a great job of that. And it was so great to see him out there uh, for the coin flip and getting that uh, win and getting the deferral, which was, of course, huge for the Bombers team. We didn't even realize that that was going to be big, but ultimately it was really big. Robinson has became the heart of the team. And I'm not saying he never was before, but since then, this has been the talking point. But congrats to the Bombers on the Cortico win. Congrats to a perfect regular season, especially the coaching staff. Gary Bucci, again, was possible last season, went going out, gets the Cortica jug. Turper, great game planning, great coach. Reader, Warner, just all of them deserve a massive congratulations. Absolutely. And I'd like to say this right now. I do not know if there is a Division Three NCAA Coach of the Year award, but if there is, if there, if there is, and if Coach Turper does not get it, it is an absolute outrage. What he has done for the Ithaca Bombers team cannot be understated, and especially as Dean was just uh, waving to me, in his first season as head coach of this Bombers team, this team has defied all expectations, they have defied all odds, and they have defied the standard that the Bombers have set over the past couple of years of sort of like falling off at the end of the year. This team does not, and arguably, you could say that this team was far worse on roster talent than what previous Bombers teams have been, and I truly believe, and I've been saying this the entire season, coaching has made the difference for this team. This coaching staff has turned this team into a perennial winner, and they are absolutely making the biggest difference in my mind as to why this team is 10 and 0. And so I think absolutely coach of the year in the NCAA Division Three football, Coach Turper. If he doesn't get it, absolute outrage. I agree. They also agree. they also game plan per. I'm I'm not saying the players aren't talented. They are talented, and it just I always feels like the coaches get the most out of these guys. And listen, don't get me wrong. Every coaches, all coaches need great players, and I will still stand by that to this day. However, the coaches make things better, and they game plan well. Like, so not just Herper, but Bucci, Grigsby, and also the coordinators, and Reeder, who, by the way, I thought Reeder called a great game offensively, and Warner, who prepared well. Absolutely, but I also think it's just going beyond just what co coaches do in terms of game plan, in terms of scheme. It's also just a mentality thing. Like, you have to think that over the past couple of years, the Ithaca Bombers have always been expected to win a Liberty League title, to go into the NCAA tournament, to play well in it, and they've fallen short the past couple seasons. And I truly do believe that that's part, partly due to the culture that they were in. Because the roster, in terms of just on-paper talent, there's nothing against this Ithaca Bombers team of this year, I want to make that clear, is that last year, the roster talent in terms of on-paper was far superior in several aspects compared to this year's team. However, I truly believe that the difference in why this team is defying odds, even though that they are overall probably on roster talent on paper, worse than what previous teams have been is because of culture. Coach Turper and Coach Warner and Coach Reeder have all established a culture of winning in this team. And we have seen a not a single time and not a single game a lapse of concentration from this team. And that's oftentimes something that you can see, especially in winning teams going down the stretch. You can see them start to lose focus, start to play down to their opponents. It's actually the exact opposite. I truly believe that Coach Turper has instilled a culture of playing up to challenges in this team because yeah. this team no matter who they faced, no matter how bad or how good they have been, they have always played to their best, and they have always played really solidly 
for the entire 60 minutes. There's never been one time during the season where I truly thought, okay, you know, this team has sort of given up on the game or they've sort of like just let their opponent, you know, come back or play down to them. This team has always played up to their opponents and always played up to challenges, and there have been some this season. And so I really think that's a credit to Coach Turper and the culture that he has created. And especially, it's amazing to see in his first season as a head coach. Yeah, and I do want to say all of this that we're saying is nothing against Dan Swanstrom. Swanstrom was a great coach. He did many great things at Ithaca, and he helped build this team back to what it was with the help of Turper when he was an assistant. But now I do want to say... Swanstrom's culture and Turper's culture have been so different. First off, Coach Turper's availability has been amazing. He always goes out of his way. He seems more approachable. And that's nothing against Swanstrom or what Swanstrom did. He was a very good coach. I want to keep reiterating that. But Turper, so smart with this team. He's a player's coach. And you can just see it. The way the players, the relationship that these guys have with him as well. Just so well. And wanted to mention as well, you know, Kelly told me this last week that when when they were getting a new coach and Warner was still in Ithaca with Swantrum, that they didn't want Warner to go, especially when he was still the guy and what he did for that defense last year, helping them, you know, get better. And and now the guys are happy that Warner stayed. He's now he obviously being now the DC reader, the offense, they love them being the offense coordinator. And then Turper, just the king of it all. Yeah, and I think it speaks volumes when players will openly say that like they love their coaches. And I think that that's something that the Zucker yep. Bombers team throughout this season has said. Like, And any players that we've talked to and anyone that really anyone in the entire, you know, sort of media aspect has talked about, you know, what they feel about Coach Turper and what they feel about how good of a job he's done and his entire coaching staff, they have loved him. And I mean, I think that speaks volumes in terms of how the culture is and I think when players love their coach and when their coach does a great job of getting them into the right mentality any team can be successful and I truly think that that's the case in this Ithaca Bombers team yep I'd have to agree now some stars the game I'd, I'd have to say my star of the game I, I would go defense but I'm gonna save that for my signature segment offensively you know what I'm gonna be. I'm. I'm not gonna say AJ. I'll let you. I'll let you have AJ. I'm gonna go with Jake Williams. Two touchdowns combined, receiving and rushing. A hundred plus yards combined in general total between rushing and receiving. Jake Williams played a great part in that game Saturday. And some will say he did have the late run, which I understand. But at the same time, that was the insurance touchdown. On top of that, if you look at his game in general, he played a great game, receiving and rushing. Jake Williams my star of the game. Absolutely, he was a huge star of the game, but my star of the game, I have to go with the man, AJ Wingfield. I said that he needed to have a massive game last week in order for the Bombers to win in Cortica, and he absolutely delivered. 18 of 20, 209 yards, three total, three touchdowns, a long pass of 40 yards to Julian Dumaga, who we haven't even mentioned this, but the, by the way, the catch that Julian Demaga made on uh, that forty-yard reception was top uh, number eight on Sports Center top plays. And so Cortland got moss. Yeah, Cortland got moss. And if you have not seen the clip of Dumaga's catch, please go look it up. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube or on ESPN. It is it is circulating around, and it is absolutely unbelievable. He mossed a Cortland defender to reach over and get that pass from Wingfield. But Wingfield played absolutely perfectly. Only that one sack, and ultimately, you know. The fact remains that he played clean with no interceptions, I think was more impressive and more important than any sort of yardage total or touchdown total that Wingfield put up. And so kudos to him and a shout out to him for being a friend of the podcast and for coming on uh, earlier this year doing that interview with us. 
my star of the game. I There's so many places I could go. I want to say Dumaga, and he deserves it, but I'm going to go with Jalen Leonard Osborne. 8 for 42 on the ground, 39 net yards. Incredible job rushing the ball and then catching the ball. 1 for 12. He was available to run. He played that Cordero Patterson role so perfectly where Cortland didn't know what he was going to do, and he could kind of do whatever he wanted to in the backfield. Jalen Leonard Osborne was a huge factor. If, I, if Wingfield hadn't played so good, I would have gone Jalen Leonard Osborne. He's one of my favorite players, and definitely the Cordero Patterson aspect of Jalen Leonard Osborne was on full display this week in Cortica. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I, all players as well. But the running game really came alive in this game. We talk about the passing, especially with Dumaga, who had the insane catch, Anderson, who also had a nice game. But the run game stepped up as well. And like I said, credit to Reader for calling a nice game. Now, one of the six seg- signature segments of the show, I couldn't even say it straight the first time, but it's okay. Dean Fences Defensive Player of the Week. And, well, it's as simple as Matt DeSimplis. As simple as the simplest. A fumble recovery, an interception in the end zone. He recovered the fumble that had that was, that was courtesy of the strip sack that Michael Rumis had in the first half. An incredible first half for Matt DeSimplis, but also, even in the second half, being all over the field and making plays, making the tackles, he needs to. Ten total tackles on the day. 1.5 tackles per loss. I mean, it just really... A player that's been a huge part of this defense in general. A true... What I saw Saturday from Matt DeSimplis was true defense being displayed on the field. And... To do that, in my backyard, again, in my backyard is just an honor to watch great Dean Fence. So, Matt DeSimplicis, Dean Fence Defensive Player of the Week. I think that's a great pick, Dean. But for my Dean Fence Dean uh, Player of the Week, I'm going to have to go with an underrated uh, guy who I mentioned earlier on this podcast, Tommy Moran. He ultimately stepped up huge in this game. Ultimately, the stat line only for him is one total tackle, one pass breakup, but ultimately, he had such a great impact on the secondary, and just being able to play well and lock down receivers like Burgess and Lappin, playing a really solid game overall, was huge for the Ithaca Bombers, and I think he is such an underrated piece of why the Bombers won this football game, and so for my defensive defense player of the week, I'm going Tommy Moran underrated dude but a huge performance and just a great job locking up Lappin Burgess this week. I gotta go with the same guy. <coughs> excuse, <coughs> excuse me on that one. <clears throat> I gotta go with the same guy two weeks in a row. Kevin Shock. Last week he got that interception. First game really back with the Bombers. Stepped up into that role. This week 12 total tackles. Most on the team. A tackle for loss. He got half a sack. And then he gets that big interception. Shock was all over that field, he played exactly where he needed to be. I said last week, shock the system, shock the world, shock Union. He shocked the system, he shocked the world, and he shocked that Cortland offense. He shocked the Yankee Stadium crowd. Got to give my Dean Fences Defensive Player of the Week to Kevin Shock. Absolutely, and I mean, if you couldn't already tell, Toby is dealing with a bit of a cough for the second episode of the year, so uh, apologies if his voice is not quite coming around clear. But really, part of it is losing his voice from the Liberty League Championship and Cortica Jug. (laughs) Most of it is due to that, but anyway. I'm not going to say that. Most of it is due to a bit of an illness, but all right, I'll give y'all. Partially, a little bit. I barely screamed at that game, but... I'm going to give y'all that because it sounds cooler on the radio than I'm feeling a little under the weather. And, and now it is time for the other signature segment of this podcast, which is, of course, the main attraction. I've been told Toby has put together another great segment for us. Toby, take it away. 
You know, I'm going to talk about Fallen Maine, but before I start, a little bit of a preview. The Bombers' opponent in their next game is UMass Dartmouth. Their first game of the season, they played at home, took down the Husson Eagles. The Husson Eagles are kind of a hometown D3 team for me with Maine Maritime Academy not playing this year. They play in Bangor, Maine, and on their team, sophomore linebacker Trayvon McKenzie from Brunswick High School in Brunswick, Maine. He's a sophomore. I'm a sophomore at Ithaca College. We both graduated from Brunswick High School in the same year. Trey, good friend of mine. So glad to see him on that team and have a part of the role in that program. So shout out to Trey on the podcast. But now I want to talk about fall in Maine. First off, maybe the most beautiful season in Maine. All the leaves turn these beautiful colors. You see it here in upstate New York and it's pretty. You go to Maine, you go to Mount Desert Island in Acadia National Park. It is, I don't know how to describe it other than magical. All the trees are beautiful. You look out from the top of the mountains, like Sargent Mountain is one of my favorites. All you see, orange, red, yellow, brown, all these beautiful colors as far as the eye can see across the island, across the mainland. The weather is perfect. It's like 50 degrees and sunny, crisp every single day. The waves are a little choppy, so when you go out on a boat, when you go out to go lobster in, it's a little rough, but you tough through it. Um, and then you get to the later part of fall. And this is where things start to go south in Maine. Once the sky turns gray, after Halloween, it gets to mid-November. Everything goes gray. The first snowfall of the year truly hits. And the roads start becoming awful. As a Maine driver, I feel confident driving anywhere because the roads back home are, they're bad. Potholes every five feet. And in the fall, continuing with what I was saying, I had a bit of a cough that I had to cut out. The roads are pretty bad. They get rough. And then you start getting all the deer in the road, all the turkeys that come out into the road. And it gets a little, little hazardous to drive through the backwoods as someone who lives in the backwoods right next to the coast. All those little critters come out. Maine in the fall, though, absolutely beautiful. And another part of it that I have mixed feelings about because it does bring in tourism, but it kind of ruins Bar Harbor is the cruise ships. I, I don't like it. I'm just going to say it right now. They ruined the atmosphere of our harbor, and they've changed it from a beautiful seaside town into Disney, New England. Don't like that. But in Bar Harbor in the fall, once all the tourists leave, you get the bed races. You get the locals have their fun. That's all I'm going to say. I'm keeping this main attraction pretty short and a little loose because of my voice and my cough. Don't want to make it too bad for those listening. I have an interview later today, so I want to, want to keep everything fresh for that. But yeah, Maine in the fall, you should visit do not take a cruise ship. And lastly, shout out to Trayvon McKenzie, high school friend playing at Hassan, who UMass Dartmouth, and this is a nice segue into it, played to start the year. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Toby, for the main attraction. I promise all of our listeners next week, as we will be having a podcast episode next week, we, there was a possibility coming into the season that we were not. Um, and next week, Toby will have a much better voice and a much, better. Better, and a much better segment. I promise that. And now... Uh, we will welcome back our host, Dean Gutzig, as he will preview the Bombers' next matchup in the first round of the NCAA tournament, which sounds kind of strange saying it, considering some of us coming in did not really expect this team to go this far, but they have, once again, as we said before, defied the odds. I just want to say one thing. In the words of the great Jim Mora, playoffs! Playoffs! Yep, you heard that right. Playoffs. We will be doing playoff episodes. More content on the way. We got a big matchup coming up. The draw was yesterday, the tournament draw. Ithaca will be hosting a playoff game at Butterfield Stadium, so those listening definitely show up. I expect it to be packed. 
not only just with the college, but also the townies as well as the locals, the Ithaca community can, will definitely be able to show up as well. UMass Dartmouth, 9-1 and one in the season. They won their conference, the Mass, the Mass CAC have yet to face a ranked opponent this year. They have not played a ranked opponent. Ithaca did defeat Cortland. They also, def- even though they weren't ranked, they did defeat Union as well for the League League. Ithaca has had a tougher schedule along the way. But now they face another conference champion. So here we are. This upcoming Saturday, Butterfield Stadium. It is going to be electric, a playoff game in Ithaca in the South Hill. Absolutely. And I think... Going back to what I was saying just a moment ago, I think, you know, coming into the year, and, and you know, we obviously have a radio crew for WICB and also all the ICTV people. Uh, if you talk to any of the analysts, and I think probably 90% of them would say this to where they did not expect this team to make it this far, to make it to the NCAA tournament. I think that they would have expected them to fall short at some point. And it just goes back to, like, how this team is just so good at playing up to challenges and really overcoming adversity. And I think that's the best aspect of this team. And, I mean, moving into their opponent, UMass Dartmouth, they're 9-1 and on the year. However, they have not played really the best of teams. They have they have won almost all of their matchups. Their one loss coming to Anna Maria, uh, 48-63, so a really high-scoring game in that affair. But they've been averaging around 40 points a game. However, they've been only playing probably some really bad teams, including some teams that the Bombers have played this year, uh, like Bridgewater State. They played Plymouth State, Fitchburg State. Westfield State, it seems like I'm just saying all the state colleges. Uh, Framingham State, Worcester State, all these teams who are not really... State. Yeah, state. Yeah. Just, I, just, just uh, all of UMass, Dartmouth's uh, schedule was just all the state universities. They just, they just played uh, about eight of them. However, none of these teams are very much all that good, and they're not very um, you know, good or tough opponents that this team has to play. And I think truly... You know, this team is going to run into a brick wall, I truly feel like, against the Ithaca Bombers. You know, obviously going up against what I expect to be a top 10 um, team coming in off of the off the win off Cortland. I expect the Bombers to be ranked in the top 10 in the country. And so for UMass Dartmouth, who has never played really a tough opponent on their schedule, to then have to go and play a top 10 team in Ithaca, it is going to be really hard for them. These two teams have met once before 2004 in an ECAC bowl game. It was at Butterfield, the Bombers won. 36-19 in that game against UMass Dartmouth. So they have played before. Bombers' first undefeated season since 1986. And in that year, they went really deep in the playoffs. They made it all the way up to Salisbury. And I believe the semifinals, if not the finals, they lost that game by four. Last time they were in the playoffs, 2014, they faced Hobart, lost that game. So the Bombers trying to make a bit of a splash back in the playoffs coming in. But we're talking about this UMass Dartmouth team. It, they haven't really faced a real challenge this season until Ithaca. I mean, you know, they've played schools that had a winning record. Bridgewater State has a winning record, but they're not all... We saw that in week one. They weren't all that good. Mass Maritime has had okay parts of their season. They're not really the best. Worcester State has struggled. Framingham State has struggled. They have not played quality opponents this season. Yeah, and I mean... The one aspect of this UMass Dartmouth team that you can really look for as something that the Bombers are going to have to game plan against, luckily for the Bombers, unlike Cortland, that was a very, you know, sort of two-dimensional offense where you could sort of see, you know, Cortland being able to do all aspects of their offense. This UMass Dartmouth team is just really probably the most one-dimensional team that this Ithaca Bombers team has faced. I mean, they are so prolific in the passing attack. Twenty, uh, um, Their uh, number one quarterback, Dante Alves Santos, has 
2,940 yards on the year. I'm sorry, I cannot say numbers today for some reason. Um, and 26 touchdowns on the year. The most prolific quarterback that we have seen this Bombers team come up against. And, you know, looking at their wide receivers, Angel Sanchez has eight, uh, has a... <laughs> has 1,100 yards on the year and nine touchdowns. This is the first time that we have seen this Bombers secondary go up against a wide receiver that is so good. I mean, we have never seen um, any wide receiver that this Bombers team has faced that has even close to 1,000 yards, and, and uh, Sanchez has 1,100. And so obviously the number one uh, priority for the Bombers is going to be locking down Sanchez because really after Sanchez, they don't really have a number two wide receiver Per se, that's all that great. Uh, Keenan Little has 456 yards and four touchdowns on the year. However, that is not very good compared to Sanchez, who has 1,100 yards. And it really sort of seems like this offense is very much like the Rams, to where they really just ride through one wide receiver like Cooper Cup, and uh, Sanchez is going to be that guy for this UMass Dartmouth team. And so I think the number one priority for this Bombers team is, sh is shutting down Sanchez. And I think if they do that, they'll have a really good shot to win this game. I'm calling this the reverse Rochester. Rochester was based on the ground game through Pampantonis. This game will be won through the air if you're UMass Dartmouth, if you're looking. Because you can't... The Bombers do really well against the run. Uh, Evely Santos on the air... Averages 294 yards per game, and the majority of that goes to Sanchez, 138 yards per game on average. He averages 21 yards a reception. He's their best player. If you lock him down, it's kind of similar to how it went against Cortland, where you're forcing a guy like Dante Avila-Santos to maybe run the ball around, give it to Jalen Aponte in the ground, and that's going to screw up these uh, Dartmouth's game plan. Absolutely. I mean, looking there, uh, drawing even more similarities to the Rams, I, I, I really do see the similarities in this team uh, to the uh, Los Angeles Rams. They have a running back really by committee. They have four running backs that have more than 450 yards on the year. Uh, Luis Gonzalez, Marvins, Gene, and Richard Hilton, as, long as, uh, as well as uh, Jalen Aponte. And so all of them have uh, 450 yards or more, including uh, Aponte, who is their number one running back with 595 yards on the season. Um, it's not looking like this team is all that strong through the rushing attack. It sort of seems like I would expect them more to be using these running backs more as a wide receiver option and sort of splitting them out on wheel routes. And so I think that's something that the Ithaca Bombers definitely have to keep their eyes on as these running backs don't have very many yards on the ground, which tells me that in all likelihood they're being more used as receiving backs, sort of like a Christian McCaffrey type, um, and being used sort of that way in order to generate offense. Because I think that this UMass Dartmouth team definitely generates through the passing attack. However, I do think that they incorporate their running backs to a certain extent. Yeah, absolutely. They 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 use their they utilize their run game attack well. This is a UMass team that could also pass the ball. They could run the ball. They could definitely run the ball. This is a UMass team that can definitely give the Bombers a challenge, especially in this type of game. And honestly, I thought heading into the the draw of the tournament that the Bombers would. I'm not, when I mean better draw, I'm not saying easier or harder team. I'm saying as in maybe they get a much lower-seeded team or a team with at least two losses on their schedule. Seeing that they got UMass, it's like, well, this is their biggest challenge besides... It feels like every game gets bigger for the Bombers every week. I actually disagree with that. I think this is actually one of the worst teams that the Bombers have actually played this year. This offense is so one-dimensional, and they don't have any pieces on defense, really, that sort of stand out to me in terms of, you know, really being able to stop the Ithaca offense. Yes, they have a really good cornerback um, that we haven't mentioned in Shane Mirbot with 10 pass breakups and two interceptions, leading the team with two interceptions on the year and 21 total tackles. 
He's a pretty good corner. However, ultimately, at the end of the day, we've seen this Bombers team, especially in the RPI game, you can look at that, like, the Bombers don't need to generate points in order to win football games. And I truly expect against this UMass Dartmouth team that is going to be passing the football. And we know that they're going to be passing the football as, you know, that is pretty much the entirety of their offense almost. Um, is passing the football. I expect that this defensive line for the Bombers is going to be very, very aggressive. They know that they're, that that quarterback is going to be holding on to that football, trying to make something happen down the field, passing the football. And so if you're Jason Green or anyone on that Bombers defensive line, this is a field day for you. You are going to have a ton of opportunities to rush the quarterback, and you're going to have a ton of opportunities to generate sacks and to generate pressure. And I think this is ultimately going to come out and look like a very much similar to a Brockport-type game where I truly think the Bombers defense uh, defensive line is going to be absolutely just super dominant and really cause some problems for UMass Dartmouth and I think that that's going to be the key for the Bombers is getting pressure and we've seen throughout the year the coach Durber is not afraid to blitz anyone especially off the corners and I think this is a game where you can drop probably most of your secondary into just zone coverage and considering that you maybe want to double Sanchez but other than him there's not really any top wide receiver threats that you maybe really fear and you probably feel pretty comfortable going one-on-one -on -one with your cornerbacks even as you know shallow in depth as they are I feel I would feel that coach Turper and coach Warner are going to be pretty confident leaving them on the one-on-one matchup especially coming off of a game um, against Corlin so I truly feel like if you can just blitz the blitz UMass Dartmouth and really just get to the quarterback, your UMass Dartmouth is not going to even have a chance to win this football game. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that if you're the Bombers, you do have to put pressure on the quarterback. And I think we're going to, yeah, as you said, we're going to see a very similar game that we saw with Brockport, where you drop guys back, but you're not afraid to do a corner blitz. You're not afraid to test their quarterback. Because I don't think this is very much like what we saw with Cortica, where they were, you know, rushing the ball all around the field, and Cortland was able to get out and get through. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at this. You also look at their O-line. They have a lot of fair amount of sacks this year. It's not really a team that, you know, gets through, does well. I mean, they've allowed 15 sacks by opponents for a total of 99 yards. Well, I mean, even if they allow a decent number of sacks, this, off, this defensive line for the Bombers is strong enough to where they are going to be able to get home, and especially... As we've seen, Coach Turper and Coach Warner love to call corner blitzes, and we criticized them on earlier in the season for doing so because we were really worried about the secondary. However, now this is a point in the season where it's kind of reversed to where I'm okay with them going and doing corner blitzes because I truly feel like that's a way to get a, a sort of unique type of pressure onto the quarterback to where you can potentially get that corner get coming off the line and being completely have a free run at the quarterback. And I think having that is going to be so important for this game. And I truly feel like, and we've mentioned this over the past couple weeks to where this entire season for the Bombers, I feel like you can always, you know, in terms of trying to get a game plan for these upcoming matchups, you can go back and look at what you did against teams like Brockport or against Rochester or against, you know, St. Lawrence and take aspects of those game plans and really build your game plan for your upcoming opponents off of those game plans that you had in those in the wins that you've had previously. And I think that that's so important for this Bombers team to do. And I think that's, a really big advantage for them is that they can draw off of all the good that they've done throughout the season and now use it to their advantage going forward into this NCAA tournament. Yeah, take what you did against Brockport, take some of what you did against Hobart, take a lot of what you did against Cortland and kind of mash these game plans, but also with what you did against Union in the second half. Take these game plans, mash them together, and I think you got a recipe. You know, the big thing for the Bombers is getting off the field as well. And it concerned me against Union, it concerns me in this game too. There were so many third longs, even fourth longs, that they just 
cannot get them off the field. You need to... When you're playing, especially in playoff games, this is where you need to get teams off the field. I'm not overly concerned about that because I truly think I did not see that against Union and I did not see that against RPI. I truly think the only time that I saw that was in this Cortland game because obviously Union it happened here. Union there. there were a lot. They there were a lot of third downs where the Bombers could not stop. I don't think a third and eleven. Here's, here's my thing: is that run. Yeah. obviously. You know, Union, yes, it did happen. However, it was not to the extent that we saw in Portland. I agree. That that I agree. I'm not overly concerned about that. And here's why. And my reasoning is this, is that Boyas was part of the game plan. They expected him to be forced to run. That was the whole entire point of that defense to where, you know, when Lapp and Burgess would go deep, they have dragging two or three guys with them in each, respectively, to cover them. And so it was obviously going to leave all the underneath stuff open, and it was going to leave holes for Burgess to run. However, I truly expect that that's not going to be a problem. We have not seen that this entire year, minus the Union game, minus the Cortland game. And even in the Union game, it was not nearly as bad as the Cortland game. I'm not so much concerned about that. I truly believe that Warner's going to come up with a game plan. And going forward against a passing offense, you know, when you know, in, when you probably expect that you're going to be getting pressure on the quarterback, you can have confidence that your defense is going to be able to get off the field. And so I'm not taking that as a concern going forward. The number one concern for me going forward into this game against UC Dart- or U- UMass Dartmouth um, is definitely going to be preventing the big plays. Dean loves to talk about the big plays, such a you know huge piece um, to any win. However, I truly feel like if the Bombers can stop the deep passing attack as well as they did against Cortland, they'll be fine in this game. I mean, that's what we said for the Cortland game was you got to limit the deep play. That's what we said for Union. Both times when they did it, it worked well. So I think we're going to see a repeat of a lot of those game plans brought into this one. And also for Dartmouth, you got to go to a hostile environment on the road in November. I think, they, I mean, they haven't had to travel to the South Hill in almost a decade. This is a different environment, especially that's coming off of a Cortica game. And you mentioned hostile environment. This crowd, even though, you know, it'll be the start of Thanksgiving break for students, they're going to be staying. You know, a lot of people that I've even talked to over the past couple, yeah. uh, past couple yeah. days um, have said that they're changing their plans. And they're staying just so that they can see this game. I mean, it's been so many years to where it's like they have not had success in the NCAA tournament or even, even made the NCAA tournament to where this is a huge game. And I know that that Butterfield crowd is going to be absolutely ecstatic when it comes to that game on Saturday. And it is going to be really hard for UMass Dartmouth to come in here and get a win in one of the most hostile environments that you can possibly find. You talk, you talk about the big play. I want to say the big environment that they will be stepping into, which I think will also play a factor. The crowd is going to play a factor. You mentioned, Alex, the talk around campus. And there's been a lot of buzz as well. And you mentioned, like, canceling plans. I even told my mom, I, I'm coming home Thursday or Friday. And now I was like, nope, change your plans. The playoffs are here. So that's happening. But also got taken the locals, the Ithaca community, as a general, I expect them to also show up to this game. I think... I would not be surprised if this was a sellout game or close to it. I think this might be the most packed game we see this year. Well, uh, I absolutely expect that it will be. And, I mean, it's like we're recording this on Monday. The game was Saturday. And I've been talking to people on Sunday and even after the game. And Saturday, Saturday was packed. Too. Yeah, Saturday, Saturday, was, great Saturday too. was absolutely packed. I don't know whether we mentioned this or not, but it was 40,600 yep. somewhere in there. And it was the second, second, largest. second largest crowd Talk of all time in D3. And so it was absolutely massive. But number also, one, 2019. Yes, yeah, as, as Dean mentioned, number one was 2019 at MetLife Stadium. However, 
you know, a lot of people, especially students, are changing their travel plans. Like, a lot of people are either flying or driving on probably Friday to go back home for Thanksgiving. They're all being like, nope, we're not going anywhere. You know, we're coming to stay and watch this game. I mean, and that tells you how much this game truly means to the Ithaca College community, not just the students, but also to the entire local community. I mean, this game is massive. I mean, they have been waiting a long time to see a really good undefeated season by the Bombers, and they finally have it. Let alone seeing a playoff team in a playoff environment in Butterfield Stadium. Prediction-wise, I'm going to go with the Bombers on this one. I, I, I tr- Here's the thing. I trust the Bombers' defense to make more plays, especially with the key pieces that they have. I trust the Bombers' offense to make more plays. UMass is a solid offense. However, I trust the Bombers a bit more, and I think the defense will be a difference in this game. And I think the Bombers' defense will make more plays. And I also... Trust, as we mentioned many times, the coaching staff to prep well for this game. I'm not going to say it's a blowout. I'm not going to say it's a close game. Uh, point differential-wise, I'm thinking within 14 to 17 point difference. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with 31 to 14 bombers. I I think, I think the bomber it'll be a touch. It'll be a touchdown game or 10 point game at one point, and then there'll be like a late similar to Jake Williams. I think there will be a late run that'll. Just ice the game. <laughs> I I 100% agree with that. I also think that this is going to be an Ithaca win, but I'm willing to go a little bit farther than what you are, Dean. I'm I'm saying that this Ithaca Bombers team is going to be putting on a show in front of a home crowd in a home atmosphere that's going to be absolutely electric for their first playoff game um, at home in a couple of years. This atmosphere is going to bolster this team, and not to mention they have a ton of confidence coming in, and also that they've never underlooked their opponents and never overlooked them and always, you know, game plan for them well and always, you know, been super laser focused. I have no doubts that this team is going to win this football game. I'm going to go 42-14. Bombers get a statement win in the first round. They absolutely dominate this team. And ultimately, I think this is going to be another Brockport game. I truly think that the defensive line for the Ithaca Bombers is going to be way too much for UMass Dartmouth to get any sort of a passing game going. Listen, this Dartmouth team is a long way away. They're on Buzzards Bay down there in southern Mass. As a New England guy, I know that is a long, long way from Ithaca College. Anywhere in New England is pretty long from IC. It's going to be about a six-hour drive for this uh, Corsairs team to make. You look back to their loss this season. They lost 63-48 to Anna Maria. An Anna Maria team that I wouldn't say was the best in the country. They were fine. But you look at that game, their defense could not stop the Anna Maria offense. They scored 28 points in the second quarter. I think a similar game happens for the Bombers' offense, where they get a lot of points at some point, probably the third quarter, because the Bombers have been more of a second-half team throughout the final stretch of the season. But I see the Ithaca defense stepping up a lot more than Anna Maria did. I got the Bombers winning this game by a score 38-17. to uh, 17. I'm going to 38-17 Ithaca takes down UMass Dartmouth and they move on to the next round, face the winner of Endicott Springfield. I can, well, I can very well see that. Well, folks, that is going to do it for the WICB postgame podcast show. Another great episode. And Terper, I hope you're listening to this one. Dean Gutick alongside Tobias Abore, Alex Chaprut. Playoff edition. See you next time. <laughs>